Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of Roman innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat strategist Patrick Hanley, Gary Abernathy, political expert and columnist for uh, the Washington Post, Karen Kessler, who's the State Bureau Chief for Iowa, uh, Ohio Public Radio, and also in studio with me, we have Christopher Nywain, and he is a Republican strategist, and he joins us as well. Our studios, a beautiful um, Elk Grove Village, Illinois, studios of AM 560 WIND. Nice to have you with us, and uh, tonight uh, we're going we're gonna to begin the process. There's 192 days to go before the midterms, and everybody who's involved in politics is focusing on that number, so we're going to focus on it as well. And uh, since this is May 1st, uh, we're going to do the first Sunday of every month, starting tonight, we're going to be doing our regular program talking about whatever the key issues of the day are, but also we're going to be focusing on the election and the race and how things are going insofar as the fight for the control of the U.S. House and the U.S. Uh, Senate and also some of the key gubernatorial races around the country. And then in the second hour, we'll be bringing in people whose expertise is in that particular state or region of the country. And so we'll bring you up to date, and uh, you can uh, stay abreast of what's happening uh, politically in the country. So, again, uh, we welcome, first of all, uh, let me welcome a, a new guest who's not been here before, and that's Christopher uh, Nywain. Christopher, nice to have you with us. You have your own firm. You live inside the Beltway, but sometimes you live outside the Beltway, and sometimes you live in Nevada. That's correct. Hard to pin you down. Sometimes you need a breath of fresh air. <laughs> what What is it about um, Republican politics that uh, excite you? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of people often say that they don't, they're not political or I don't care about politics, but right. my, my philosophy has always been politics cares about you, whether or not you care about it. I mean, uh -huh. it dictates uh, the, the taxes you pay, the, the, the social policies that impact you. So I've always found politics to be something that... Uh, affects people's lives. Have you been interested in all your life? I mean, you're a young man. I was interested in U.S. history growing up. I could probably, I could okay. recite the presidents forward and back. Now I could maybe <laughs> do that without stumbling, but okay. uh, I could do that in first grade. I was interested in history, and I, I found I found a certain practical application of politics interesting. What mm -hmm. is it about, why do you think the Republican Party is better for people than the Democratic Party? It goes down to philosophy. It goes down to the role of government, and the, the less government mantra is really for me. I think hmm. the Democrats, in my, from my point of view, think that government is, is, will always, is a good thing or is a noble tool for correcting course on things. And certainly hmm. while we need regulations in society to some extent, I think the least extent tends to be better than a heavy-handed government approach on most hmm. social issues and, and political issues. Patrick Hanley joins us. He is a, uh, almost a regular guest now. Nice to have you with us. Great to see uh, you. He is a Democrat. Why are you a Democrat? I am. I, you're, a business, you're a businessman. You have, you have I business. am. That's true. I've got a business. Uh, I'm a Democrat and I have been a Democrat. So I came of age politically during kind of the Obama era. Okay. So Obama spoke to me in 2008 about a multiracial <laughs> coalition of folks who believed that government could do good things and help people. Uh, a lot of the problems, a lot of the 
deep systemic problems that I think we have in the United States have to do with uh, unregulated, unfettered markets uh, and with a country that is being run in large part by billionaires, oil barons and uh, and special interests. And to me, Barack Obama and his coalition said, we can do something about that. You know, we can change this country for the better. Uh, And that inspired me and I've I've stuck around. And uh, to look at a specific issue, the issue of the border, Why is it the Democrats now and Republicans haven't been able to solve that problem? Yeah, well, you know, first, first, let me start and say, I think the best way to talk about the border is the way that Barack Obama talked about the border in 2008 and 2012. And that is to have sober border policy where uh, we reduce the amount of illegal immigration as much as possible. Meanwhile, we treat immigration humanely. There's a path to citizenship. Uh, and we we broadly treat folks with respect. And I think there's a number of times throughout the Obama years when we were very close to having a broad immigration deal. You know, there's, there's that comprehensive immigration legislation that we almost got to the finish line, um, but we couldn't couldn't get it through in large part because the Republicans weren't willing to work with us, even though they signaled that they would. Uh, so, you know, I hate to hate to play the blame game this early on in the in the show, but I do think okay. that Republicans uh, made it made it tough. Uh, is this more important as an issue to you, uh, Christopher, than a resolution? And uh, when I say you, I mean the Republican speci- Party. Are you, are you specifically about border policy? Yeah, sure. I think border policy has become uh, a prominent <clears throat> discussion. I mean, both, both parties have been talking about this, illustrating this. I think uh, the problem with the border is we have, we have rhetoric about it, and then we mm. have policy. And I think where uh, my colleague here and I agree, we talked a little early on, is there needs to be some sort of compromise on some level like there, there are there are undocumented folks that that come in the country they are here we have to deal with the reality and the reality you know uh slogans about policy things like build the wall things like full amnesty those are sort of flamboyant fundraising things that get people yeah. excited to give you money to run again but they don't actually solve anything so i do think there has to should be, some, there be should yeah. there be a path to citizenship that's a big difference between republicans and democrats i think it has to be considered it has to be considered it has to be discussed but it has to come with if I was sitting in Congress right now, if I was sitting in the Senate, per se, and sitting on that committee, I would say that there has to be strong border, uh, uh, border security measures that will, pro, that will absol- actually prohibit mm-hmm. some of these uh, access points into the country. And, so, and I think that's where Democrats have been pushing back. Where mm-hmm. We don't like the symb- symbolism of a wall. We don't like the symbolism of tanks and, and, or helicopters. So I think it has to be, there has to be, you have to go with all of these options on the table and then decide what you're going to move on. But the idea of doing nothing, mm-hmm. I think, has benefited both parties because historically no one wants to say it. Republicans have wanted cheap foreign labor mm-hmm. and Democrats have wanted votes. So I think until you actually look at a healthy policy um, and get, you know, it, it, we're not going to get anywhere on that. Yeah, I think, listen, I think we're going to get along. <laughs> it's just started off pretty well. I agree with that. And I think broadly what ticks us off on the Democratic side about the way that Republicans talk about this issue is to an extent the policy it's using ice to break up families it's inhumane treatment on the border we we can't stomach that we can't stomach treating folks with that level of disrespect and violence uh but we are interested in having a sober border policy we don't want rampant illegal immigration uh, uh you, coming across the border let me, because, let me interject yeah. what do you mean by treating people with disrespect at the border what does that mean well it's separating families right but, uh, losing parents from kids and separating them and then getting to a place where we don't know where orphan kids belong. I mean, that's that's negligence. Should they have been is the issue that they should not have been separated or we should have done a better job in keeping track of them? 
I don't think they should have been separated, but if they were to be separated, and I realize this happened under the Obama administration as well, but under that there was a much more well-resourced, thoughtful system if, of keeping track of folks. If you commit a crime in the United States, yeah. um, you go to prison and yeah. you're convicted. Yeah. You don't take your kids with you. Families are separated all the time. America's prisons are filled with separated parents from their children. Sure. Why should someone who's coming into this country illegally, yeah. why should they be treated separately? The, the, the crime <clears throat> of crossing the border, I think, happens under a different context. And if you and your family are in the desert crossing a river to get into a country for economic benefit, uh, separating that family at that time at the most vulnerable moment when they have no money, no relations, no connections, and the kids don't know where they are, that just to me seems in inhumane. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk more about that. I'm going to get to Christopher's response as well. 1-800-723-8029. Forgive me for a horrible, horrible uh, bronchial cough tonight. Uh, give us a call so I don't have to talk. Back to <laughs> One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. 
the drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Uh, this afternoon, earlier in the day, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, led a group of uh, d- Democratic members of Congress uh, to go over and uh, pay visit to uh, President Zelensky over in Ukraine. And uh, uh, she showed up in her nice bright blue suit, and uh, she decided that she was going to uh, com- communicate to him directly uh, the support that the United States uh, has given and will continue to give. And uh, including, by the way, you know, the president last week said another he's requesting another $33 billion to go to Ukraine. And uh, I mentioned it, uh, on this program last week, when were we going to begin to have a debate in Congress about whether or not we're giving too much? And where are we going to hear from the conservative voices, be they Republican or Democrat, who are going to ask the question as to whether or not not necessarily that we're getting our money's worth, but mm-hmm. is this an empty is this an empty bucket we're looking at here? So today uh, she was there, and uh, the two of them uh, gathered, and they were surrounded, uh, you know, by the other members of the of the committee. And uh, we're going to take a little video for those of watching on video. We're going to play a little yeah, background yeah, video, and then we're going to. We hear believe that we are visiting you uh, to say thank you. Uh, for your fight for freedom, that we are on a frontier of freedom, and that your fight is a fight for everyone. And so our commitment is to be there for you until the fight is done. All right, uh, Christopher, question to you. When Nancy Pelosi does this, uh, I know she's the, she's the boogeyman uh, for, uh, for the Democrats, if you're a Republican, but when she does something like that, and... Uh, uh, she also gave a, a rather significant, almost a, a grandmotherly-type speech about what you do with bullies. You can't let bullies continue to bully. Um, does that soften her image? I mean, I listened to her today, and I it was pretty hard to hate Nancy Pelosi because of what she said today. Uh, it's Everyone has to make the decision for themselves. I mean, I, I think oh, most... Oh, what about you? Um, I mean, she, oh, she, it's, she, it's, she, she's an easy target. It's, it's, but when she shows up in a situation like this, where this is the first time I have viewed her almost as, uh, you, you could say, a really aged woman, and she is. Yeah, I, I think. But also grandmotherly. She's try. She has to do this. <clears throat> she's in leadership. She has to be able to uh, appear as though she's got her hands on the situation. That that she has a grasp on what's going on, and that she's she's got, uh, making decisions, and that she's. She's being supportive, but not being too supportive. It's a game. I mean, she's she's basically an actress that isn't very good at it. I mean, I think. Have you noticed how Democrats? Wait, wait, but she she said today she looked dir- directly in the eyes of President Zelensky and she said, "We're going to be here for you." Well, I mean, that's coming. That that's coming from the, what is the highest congressional right. voice possible. Right. And he and is is looking into her eyes, and he obviously has been asking for a lot of support from the United States. But it, it, isn't that isn't that meeting today with her more important 
than all of the phone calls that she's taken or he's taken with the Joe Biden. It depends on who you ask. I mean, if you've if you had family members already killed while we're sitting here, uh, look, is she going to put U.S. troops in Ukraine? Are we going to? I mean, that's the thing. I don't know. It's all talk. Should we do it? I don't think so. But I also don't think it's virtue signaling. She wants no. to look as though we're support. We're we're, sh- we're we're showing more support than we really are. It's called posturing. And we're, so we're giving thirty-three billion dollars in, in new support. We've given fifty. We'll we'll give fifty billion dollars. Right, but here's this the thing. Year. So I've served in war. Mm. I'm one percent of the U.S. population that serves in the military. Probably less that's actually mm. been in a hostile firing area. So I've actually stepped in the arena and done it. Mm-hmm. Not just sat and talked about it. Mm-hmm. Not just sat and talked in committees with interns running around with paper and coffee right. talking about it. Sure. So. <clears throat> People want to look like they're doing something, but and by the way, giving weapons is still different than actually doing something. I I, I would suggest we should not, but trying to have things both ways is. You is, don't think we should give weapons? No, I do think we should give weapons. I don't think we should commit troops, but okay. But I also think we've been slower to do, take some of these actions, and also NATO, uh, uh, NATO, the UN, these organizations that do almost nothing. I mean, the United Nations, I think, is a complete joke. We've seen uh, oh, what's happened wow. with. With, with massive, massive uh, mass killings, things in certain countries where if we don't have a vested economic interest, we don't do much. So I, I think it's sufficient that she does this, but I think it's all about posturing. And last, I think many Democrats feel a little uncomfortable and look like they're off their natural, uh, off their natural strength when speaking about foreign policy. I don't think they like talking about workers. I don't think they're comfortable with it. It's not, they feel more comfortable in the domestic policy realm. So I think it's sufficient she did that. But I think it was all talk, and it was an actress job, like it usually is with her. I'm, I'm afraid the Republican Party has abdicated its foreign policy responsibility over the last five years, and Democrats <clears throat> are the only ones talking foreign policy in a serious way. How many how many major conflicts have kicked off when President Trump was in there? See, that's the thing. If you look at the results, it's different than the rhetoric. I mean, that, that's an interesting. No, you're thing. right. He's a pretty ineffective president. I agree with that. But the rhetoric is still embarrassing. But what do you mean by ineffective? Wouldn't you wouldn't wouldn't having no major conflicts? Uh, erupting while he was president be a positive thing in terms of loss of loss of life, injuries, and uh, but we all costs. remember being pushed to the brink with North Korea, with Russia, with Iran, with Syria, all over what three and a half years worth of mismanaging foreign policy. Like he wasn't exactly a bastion of stability. But do going you, back, wait, to, wait, 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 do you think that Donald Trump pushed us to the brink of insecurity? Oh, sure, several times. Do you remember yeah, all these way. summits with Kim Jong Un, where he'd bring yeah. us all together? You'd yes. watch the summit. Yes. He'd say something off the cuff. The yeah. summit would implode. They'd and send then, letters to then, each other. And then what would happen? He'd come no. home, and there'd be no more testing. Well, no, but then you'd get another. You'd, no, you would. You would get tests. There were missile tests during Trump's presidency no. No. from Kim Jong Un. No. From North Korea, sure, that was in 2017, right? I I don't I don't recall. Well, that. we can we can take. I don't recall. Yeah, there have there have been quite a few in the last several months. Mm. But what I'm just saying is that you're accusing Donald Trump of bringing the world yeah. to the brink. Sure. And I'm 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 still can't I can't comprehend. Well, do you know the China trade war? That decision. Do you know the China trade war? There was it. Yes, there was right. a China global trade instability. War market instability for several years. Did it help on, us or hurt us? It hurt us. It absolutely hurt American farmers and it, it did us? not slow down the Chinese economy. Christopher? I don't think it hurt us. I think the idea was that we were being taken advantage of and that China doesn't play by the rules. China's also I've been to China. I've negotiated sure. deals. I've negotiated deals in China on behalf yeah. of US universities <clears> and different <throat> collaboratives. These deals by the way didn't work out because mm. China wasn't very earnest about the uh, agreements we put in forth. See in, in in the United States if you're an attorney and you put in a, a deal together that isn't accurate or you, you put something in there that's incorrect, 
it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. In China, if you get one over on someone, you're actually good. You're a good deal maker, and that's mm-hmm. that's something that I learned when I was that there. Sounds but like Donald you, Trump. I want to. Well, I want to. But if it's our, our country's benefit, I think it's a good thing. I want to. I want to go back for just a second because you alluded to uh, your service and and uh, being in battles where you were being shot at. Tell us more about your military background. Sure. So. Uh, I served in a military police unit that was actually deployed out of the Chicagoland area, and we, our main mission was combat support, uh, EPW, which is uh, the acronym essentially for guarding prisoners and performing customs operation. And this was uh, one tour in 2003 during the invasion tour. We focused on road security. We focused on prisoner detention. And this was during a very interesting time. I mean, this was during the invasion the first year and stabilizing. And so it was a uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, I was 19 years old, so this was 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was an experience of serving alongside other other militaries, uh, you know, uh, being in an area where there's there's hostile actions going on, and also being in a country that's 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 impoverished, that's poor, that that's mm-hmm. uh, from from previous foreign co- policy engagements. So I think it's it's key to really kind of taste that, have that experience. And while I do not think uh, people <clears throat> need to serve in the military, and many great leaders have not served in the military, and some people that have served in the military have gone on to be civilian uh, leaders or in Congress and have done a bad job. So it's, mm-hmm. there's a mixed bag, but I do think that serving in the military gives someone a stronger uh, perspective on foreign policy, just as though I think people that work in law enforcement oftentimes have more now, experience in, in those matters. Someone, mm-hmm. who, someone who has served in the military and still does in, an, in a uh, uh, reserve way is Adam Kinzinger from central Illinois, who has become one of the leaders of the anti-Trump movement in the United States. And he's he's a member of the uh, uh, the January 6th committee, as everybody knows. Uh, he has come out and suggested that uh, that he need, there needs to be a plan to send U.S. troops to, to fight in Ukraine. What is your reaction to that? Uh, because there hasn't been a lot of public talk of that. No. I think it's been more of a talk show. Yeah. conversation yeah and to be but honest now someone's someone's putting their name on it yeah i haven't followed adam's thoughts on foreign policy <clears> very closely uh, i think it's a foolish mistake i think the biden administration has done a really sober good job in the last three months of uh of managing this international crisis that we're in right now uh by supporting ukraine 100 percent, by stiffening the back of europe by standing up to russia uh by funding the ukrainian resistance without threatening uh, broader conflict or broader war. I think it's it's been a very nuanced, delicate dance back and forth, and I think we've managed it really well uh, without the uh, perhaps the advice of Adam Kinzinger. Go ahead. That's what we call bipartisan agreement, Bruce. I think it's a bad <laughs> idea. Um, Adam Kinzinger, I think one of the appeals is uh, being an Air Force veteran, and I think having that sort of military background is just bringing that kind of policy experience to Congress. I know a lot of veterans don't like him. They don't like him because hmm. he kind of acts like he's, you know, Alexander the Great. And yet a lot of guys that I served in the Army were like, you know, it's a little bit different view de- down here on the ground, Adam. And I think that that sort of hawkish view is, is, is an attention-grabbing mechanism. And where I lost all respect for him is the fake crying. When you fake cry, you're an idiot. It's pathetic. And nobody believes that. That fake crying is really pathetic. And I think anybody that does that should be made fun of regularly. It's not authentic. It's garbage. People do that kind of stuff because they want to sort of arouse the emotions of people and try to, you know, put your booster resume for a CNN job. I really, I really took issue with that. And the thing is, there is merit in the January 6th probing, a lot of merit in it. But I think you distract when you try to be a narcissist like Adam Kinzinger and do those things. And I think it's a narcissist play talking about sending troops in because it's certainly not going to be him. Mm-hmm. 
We do have to pause. 1-800-723-8029. I'd like to get your response to the suggestion that maybe uh, we should be sending U.S. military troops at some point. And this was basically uh, if uh, if Russia goes too much further, either with uh, nuclear weapons or uh, with uh, uh, biological weapons, that that would be the reason to send U.S. troops. Your reaction, 1-800-723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Uh, this is a, a report from uh, Radioland. They're talking about a sound issue. The sound issue is immense tonight, but 
it's only when you are seen in the picture. Not sure when I'm not seen in the picture. This is a report from a listener in Palm Springs, California, by his pool, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, More difficult to make out what everyone is saying. Huh. So people aren't figuring out who is saying what. So we'll continue to talk, but supposedly, if I'm not on camera, which means I'm not speaking, it's better. (laughs) (laughs) So that's good with a little bronchial problem, but that's good. Uh, Let's go to, uh, right now, we're going to take this moment to let each of our guests take a little uh, moment and introduce themselves. Uh, Patrick, you've been on the program before, but uh, a lot of people may be hearing you for the first time. Sure. And they may say, oh, my God, that guy sounds like a reasonable Democrat. <laughs> What's that <Go> about? <laughs> no, fair enough. Uh, Tell us I, everybody who you are. No, and I appreciate the chance to come back, Bruce. I always enjoy doing these shows. Uh, my name is Patrick Hanley. I live in Winnetka, Illinois, with my wife and puppy. Uh, and I help with my wife with a company that she founded called Piglet in Bed. Uh, we sell linen bedding, homewares, sleepwares, pillows. So if you're in need, uh, give us a holler at pigletinbed.com. We've got a warehouse in Northbrook, Illinois, as well as a warehouse in England. Uh, before that, I was a uh, management consultant at McKinsey and did my MBA at the University of Chicago. Yeah, and I, I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, you have sort of a, you're sort of my pillow for liberals. <laughs> I, I hate when you make that comparison, but, <laughs> but there it is. Well, then I won't make it. <laughs> Christopher also joins us. Christopher uh, Wheeland, uh, Nye Wayne, Christopher Nye Wayne, who has probably corrected people his entire life with the spelling <laughs> of his name and the pronunciation of his name. You have your own firm. Tell us a little bit more about your firm, and uh, then tell us a little bit about some of the candidates that you're representing. So if you uh, speak uh, ill of someone else, we know that maybe there's... Absolutely. absolutely. So uh, from here in the Chicagoland area, suburbs areas, um, I uh, bachelor's degree, master's degree, political science, Northern Illinois University, University of Illinois at Springfield, worked in state government as a... Uh, really, as an intern at a lobby firm, learned a lot about policy down uh-huh. in Springfield. I've looked at it as kind of the Jedi training ground for uh, Washington, D.C., for learning how legislative policy yeah. works. And uh, uh, I've testified in front of Congress uh, many different times about policy. I've written for USA Today, Military Times, uh, Fox News. I've appeared on Fox News, CNN, um, a lot of national media. Uh, and now beyond the Beltway. And now beyond the Beltway. It's good to get out of the Beltway, Bruce. Thank you very much for allowing me to do that. Um, and uh, I, I, I do, I perform uh, lobbying. Uh, who, do you, who do you lobby for? I lobby for public universities, private companies, uh, a variety of policy areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I represent uh, Southern Utah University. I've done work for University of California, San Diego, focused mm-hmm. on very technical issues involving the, the budget, appropriations, military technology, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, prosthetic device companies. Mostly topical. How do you, let me ask you, because uh, uh, any any young person who's worked in Washington, obviously one of their goals is to get a job on the Hill. Right. And once you get a, the job on the Hill, you want a better job on the Hill, or you're looking to set up your own shop. Right. So I would assume that if, if you are walking through the halls of Congress and you're a 20-something or, a, well, let's, let's say 20-something. Right. You are constantly looking to... Make a hit to get to your next job. Is that a fair assessment of what life is like for a twenty-something in Washington? It is a correct assessment. It is a is a very 
fast pace. And I'm sure other cities can compare, whether it's New York City, Los Angeles. But the political scene in Washington, D.C. is very much go, 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 go. And uh, it's a very fast-paced working environment. You have legislation flying around, national issues flying around. You have every single member of Congress really wants to do a few things. They want to get media attention. They Mm want to raise money. They want to get their name out there. And hopefully they want to make a difference with with their agenda. So, yes, people want to move up. They want to become legislative directors or chiefs of staff, which is where they can make a career and actually live. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to, to, to yeah. live economically early on in, in D.C. And if you want to go out and do your own thing, and look, I'm not criti- critiquing anyone that wants to have a safe job, but if you really yeah. want to be out there and make a difference and be bold and have a loud voice, you got to go on your own. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are too scared to do that mm-hmm. because there's a lot of dangers that come with that. Washington, D.C. is not a nice place. There's a lot of slanderous behavior there's yep. a lot of people that want to take you out uh whether it's in the nonprofit sector in the in mm. the public sector it's a rough and, and tumble. many of them are in your same party well they're they, they're, they're everywhere say. absolutely i think it's i think it's bad in both parties i mean people people yeah. want to be number one i mean you see how that's why presidential primaries are tricky i mean you it's a yeah. pyrrhic victory you come out of there and you've got five you know uh five black eyes and you only actually yeah. have two eyes you know mm-hmm. there's just excess damage to Coming out of that, so lose a lot uh, of friends that way. Sure, <laughs> uh, Patrick. Let me, Patrick. Yeah. You're, you're a young man. You're a Democrat. Yes. So you, I think you may be a little bit older than Christopher, but I don't know. Uh, did you go through that period when yeah. you wanted to go to Washington, or you did yeah, go to Washington? Yeah, yeah. For a I while. spent ten years in Washington. I, okay. I loved Washington D.C. Actually, so I uh, uh, I worked on the Hill a little bit. I was in the Senate working for the Homeland Security Committee, uh, and then I ended up working. What did in, you do for them? It was 2011, so it was Senate gridlock. I was working for a guy named Mark Begich, who is representing Alaska, and we looked a lot at Coast Guard appropriations. And it was a, a very boring, very slow process where I spent a lot of my time researching Alaskan salmon policy on the Homeland Security cool. Committee, which might surprise you. Uh, and so I had that experience, and I, I thought, you know what, the Senate in 2011 wasn't for me. Uh, I'm going to go try and figure out a way to break the gridlock rather than play in it rather than tread water in it. Uh, And I ended up working for about five years uh, for a company called the Asia Group, where we went back and forth to Asia Pacific for U.S. and European companies doing business in Asia Pacific between China and India. My base was in D.C. and I lived in Capitol Hill. Okay. We're going to go to calls now. Thank you for giving us a little back here. Let's go to El Paso, Texas. Ben is a listener to this program on uh, KTSM. Go ahead, Ben. Are you there? Yes, go ahead, Ben. Hello? Yeah. What good has exactly happened since um, we started backing Ukraine in the war with Russia? Hmm. Uh, It seems like what we've accomplished is having a bunch of Ukrainian and Russian military killed. Civilians have been killed. Ukrainian buildings and infrastructure have been destroyed. And what exactly is the end game to all this Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. you know that's a very good question ben i'm gonna let uh, chris uh, take a crap uh crap take a crack at that first of all Uh, it's a great question and i appreciate that question i think um it's a good one i i'd say uh i don't know right i think i think the problem with the problem with the problem with the political party's response to foreign policy during an election year is posturing is how can we look like we're doing enough that we're supporting our ally but not doing so much that we're actually committed and we're involved. We're trying to have our cake and eat it, too. So I think we are kind of getting into that sort of new world order policy style thing. I mean, it, it's most Americans. I mean, look, you, I saw a sign yesterday in front of the, the, Beverly, uh, the Beverly Hills Lib- Public Library, and it said, 
we stand with Ukraine. Mm. What is putting a flag up and saying, I stand with Ukraine, actually doing? It's Ooh. doing nothing. I think what? most Americans don't know where these places are on a map. And we've seen, and I, I switched my perspective on the Iraq war. I voted for President Bush twice. I served in Iraq. And then you look back and you say, $5 trillion in spending, injuries, many people personally that I served with and that I've worked with in the veteran space, missing limbs, missing eyesight. And we look back and we always have pundits that are saying, well, we need to do more. We need to do more. And they've never, ever been in a position to actually understand what those implications are. Well, so I think it's ben, a great question, and I think I don't know if our policymakers know the end game. They're just kind of getting their feet wet. Ben, let me ask you, uh, and this may be your neighbor, uh, is, is he gone? Ben is gone already. Huh. Well, let me ask you. Yeah, we're, we're sorry to lose you, Ben. It's a good question. And Chris, I, I get your frustration, but I think... Uh, applying the Iraq war lessons to the Ukraine war is a mistake. The Iraq war was a was a strategic and policy mistake carried out by, out by the U.S. government. Ukraine, the counterfactual there is Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we saw what happens when Russia occupies suburbs and cities. They destroy them and they kill people. So when we think about what uh, where we want this to go and what might happen if we weren't supportive of, of Ukraine, we only need look at Mariupol and Bucha, where uh, indiscriminate killing is taking place. The, the, the counterfactual to us not being involved is a Russia invading a sovereign country in 2022 and taking it over. And that is a terrifying precedent for our Baltic friends, for NATO and for the world. So in that case, I assume that when you were supporting the Obama administration, you had the same critiques for them when they had red lines that meant nothing. And we had Russian aggression then, right? You see, that's the thing is it's, it's a difficult, it's a diff, foreign policy is always difficult. It's, it's, it's chess. And these are, these, are, these are times where we need to make key moves, like a middle game kind of thing, where these moves will shape the outcome, but it also shape our level of involvement, our level of spending, our level of commitment. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it just seems like these issues seem to pop up during election years. It really does. Certainly in Russia, because we have a president that wants to hang on to power forever. But is there, and this is, this is regardless of who the president is, is there a responsibility when you are the most powerful nation on earth to step in, and, and not necessarily be the policeman of the world, but be in a position to stop horrible things that are happening to other human beings, and you're sitting by doing nothing. And again, the United States is not doing nothing. We're doing a lot. Doing a lot. The question is, are, how much more can we do? Because the people that are home watching television all over the world they aren't necessarily our elected leaders, but our elected leaders are watching television. But Joe and Mabel, average citizens sitting at home, many of them, they're, they're torn apart by what they're watching on television because they may have relatives that went through a similar thing back in Germany. Mm -hmm. or, and so they've got to, they're ticked off too. They're riled up. They want action. And the question is, $33 billion. I mean, is that going to be enough to satisfy them? I don't think so. I don't know. I think we, there's an empty pit here. But that's what uh, we're talking about this evening, and that's what government's got to resolve. I'm Bruce Dumont. I'll back shortly. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. 
Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Bruce Dumont. We continue with Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we will continue for another full hour as well. In fact, in the second hour this evening, we're going to be joined by Gary Abernathy and Karen Kastler. Karen Kastler is the Bureau Chief in Columbus, Ohio, and she works for Ohio Public Radio and Television. And uh, Mr. Abernathy writes a column uh, for the Washington Post, and it is syndicated, and he also uh, writes Abernathy Road, which is a one-stop shop if you want to know things about Ohio politics. And so they will be our special guests joining uh, with Christopher and Patrick as we dip into the great state of Ohio in our number two, as this is the first of a series of programs, the first Sunday of every month. We're going to be talking about the specifics of Campaign 2022, which again uh, will come to crescendo on the 20, uh, on November 8th, and uh, so don't go away. Uh, 
Let's go to calls. Let's go to Dave listening to us in San Francisco. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, this is Spokane, Washington. Okay. Well, uh, you know what? I, I uh, misread this, so it's my fault. It's not Fritz's fault. <laughs> All right, Bruce. Hey, yeah, I kind of want to follow up on one, one of the other callers was talking about, you know, with Ukraine, and then you'd also been previously talking about the toxic environment sometimes in Washington, D.C. Yes. that sort of dissuades people from wanting to maybe stay there and be there. I think part of that comes from people see uh, politicians or the president uh, say things, continue to you know have a narrative on something that even when it's proven false, mm. they will never admit, acknowledge that it was false, and all they try and do is change their story twist backwards out of it, you know, you, you never see any accountability, and you start to, that's why you envision it as such a cesspool over there. Uh, I mean, everything from going back to, you know, Adam Schiff and him talking about Russia, Russia all the time, and I've got proof, I've got proof, he never did, and he never faced any punishment for that, never had any backlash of it. Uh, Afghanistan, he, was with Nancy, no he was with Nancy Pelosi today in Kiev. Exactly, I saw He's that photo op. Yes, and that Maybe made me a little nervous. Maybe he's looking for evidence. He's still looking for the yeah, evidence. Well, <laughs> he thinks exactly. that Zelensky's going to well, give it to him. <laughs> well, that sort of makes me a little bit nervous. I'm hoping I'm not correct. This is just a hypothesis yes. of something that could be going on. But I worry that Nancy Pelosi's over there trying her best to convince them that, hey, you know, the U.S. right now, we could still probably put together another bailout package for you, and if you resolve this war with Russia, we can help you with rebuilding your country, making it bigger and stronger than before, help you get in the U.N., various things to try and encourage Zelensky to accept some sort of a deal with Russia, even if it takes giving up a little bit of land there, but just make the war be over. Because if the, if the Democrats could narrate it some degree, where the mainstream media would help them, of course, that, hey, look at what we did. We brokered a ceasefire of this whole thing, even though in reality, behind the scenes, there could be somewhat of a quid pro quo, so to speak, about we can make sure we can give you some money to help you with rebuilding. Nothing necessarily sounded illegal about it, but boy, it would help them in the midterms to get their you know popularity up if they could say, look what we did, you know, to help now, the Ukrainian war end. The, uh, uh, the United States is saying, and Anthony Blinken is saying, that there is no quid pro quo with American support. And uh, it, it's not coming with, you know, some tag around it that says you've got to give up the Dembast region or else, you know, no more money. But my question to you is, do you believe that? Or should there be a string attached to $33 billion? I mean, it's your money, Dave. 33 portion of that is your money. And it's from oh, your yeah, neighbors me, in Spokane. I, so my question is, yeah. should there be some sort of a quid pro quo? In other words, Dave in, in Spokane says, you know what? Go ahead, take my tax dollars. But by golly, I want you to, you know, give up on the Crimea. You're not getting it back. Well, yeah, if we were doing this, look, I would absolutely like to see some sort of, if you want to call it quid pro quo, I would simply call it uh, some sort of a payback. Just like I went to Saudi Arabia, yeah. Saudi Arabia went into Iraq, I, you know, all the money we've spent in these other countries, I see nothing That's wrong with, at the very least, getting some kind of a deal on some of the, the things they produce. So give us like a 10-year contract where we're going to get a better deal on things that that country produces by like maybe 20, 30% discount for like 10 years to somewhat pay us back. I'm not saying I, I want to help, but mm -hmm. it should not just be the United States always writes a check, especially when we're $30 trillion in debt already, and, you know, we really can't afford to be spent all this extra money. So, yeah, I don't want to make it call it a quid pro quo, but I think that would be reasonable. Chris, do you agree with Dave? I, I do. I mean, that's the thing, too, with just 
the cost of these conflicts, we, we have a history to look at with what a foreign policy conflict involves. It goes, it, it can go through presidential administrations. It can go for mm -hmm. long periods of time. And so um, where I just disagree a little bit familiar with Patrick is this idea that uh, the Trump presidency did not sort of guard against expanding some of those conflicts and making those conflicts a little bit more heated. Now, I'd agree that some of the rhetoric was a little bit off the wall, but it tended to work. I mean, it seemed a little bombastic to call Kim Jong-un a little rocket man. To be fair, I did. I have made fun of his haircut on Fox News, which I was mm -hmm. very proud of, and I got some laughs. But the point is, is we look at the actual results and, and, and quantifying uh, missile tests and quantifying these things, and I think we saw some success. But, but bringing it back here to current day, I think we need to be very careful about our long-term involvement and giving voice to uh, backbenchers like Adam Kinzinger that want to somehow start some flashing ground war. That sounds kind of mm -hmm. crazy to me. All right. Listen, thanks for your call. We're going to move on, okay? Thanks, Bruce. Have a good day. But Very good. Let's go to Mark. Is listening to us in Carmel, California. Carmel-by-the-Sea, one of the most beautiful areas of the United States. Mark, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, and Welcome, gentlemen. Great discussion. So uh, I've got a couple of questions. One is, um, did Congress, who controls the purse springs, um, Authorize this thirty-three billion dollars in spending, Not yet. which I think the answer is no. Nope. And Not secondly, yet. I see it as a big gift to, like one of your guests said, the conservatives said, they want to have it both ways. This is a big gift to the arms manufacturers, yep. where we're going to send so many rifles over there that every man, woman, and child in the country can have six rifles. Well, uh, uh, they're appeasing that part of their base. They look like they're doing something. And frankly, had we had a negotiated settlement in the two months leading up to this invasion, perhaps the outcome would have been different and there would have been no invasion. They were simply looking for an assurance that, from us that we would not expand NATO. We could have put that on paper. We won't expand NATO. What else do you want, Putin, to keep you from going in there and blowing Yeah, but that would, have been, that, that would have been viewed as capitulating to him, and politically that would not work for either party. Uh, we've got to say farewell to you. We're out of hour number one. Hour number two will come back. Don't go away. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand 
including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our number two of uh, Beyond the Beltway. And uh, Patrick Hanley uh, joins us in studio uh, along with Christopher Nywang. And uh, joining us now from uh, the great state of Ohio, uh, Karen Kassler joins us. Uh, she is the Ohio Bureau Chief. She's based in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and she works for both the public television and public radio and has been doing it for quite some time. Gary Abernathy knows the state backward and forward. Uh, he writes Abernathy Road. He's a columnist uh, for the Washington Post, whose uh, column appears in a variety of newspapers all over the country, including many leading newspapers in the state of Ohio. Folks, uh, all the Sunday morning shows, they all did a uh, big rollout today on what's happening in Ohio. So I, I guess some of the, the, the big news may be out. But I want to ask for a little uh, a, a little background. Obviously, we're going to talk about the endorsement of uh, uh, by Donald Trump of uh, J.D. Vance. But uh, prior to that, and I want to get everybody's reaction. We'll start with you, Karen. What was the general impression of what the U.S. Senate primary race was going to be all about this year? Well, there are seven candidates in this race, and it's really unusual, obviously, to have an open U.S. Senate seat. When Rob Portman decided to retire, that really opened up the field. On the Democratic side, there's three candidates running. On the Republican side, there had been eight, and then there were seven after Bernie Moreno, a Cleveland tech guru and entrepreneur, had uh, decided to step out of that race. And so with seven candidates, two of whom are really long shots, have no real chance. You have five leading candidates, all with a lot of money, all willing to self-fund, that really opened it up. And, and none of them were necessarily really very, very well-known. They all had some name recognition, but none were hugely well-known. And so there was an opportunity for any one of them to break through. Um, 
You had Josh Mandel, former state treasurer, who's run against Sherrod Brown before running into the race. He was the first in there. Then the former Ohio Republican Party chair, Jane Timken, who had been hand-selected by Donald Trump to head the Ohio Republican Party. She joined in. Then Mike Gibbons, a Cleveland businessman. Then you had State Senator Matt Dolan. You also have J.D. Vance in here. And so it really creates a wide-open field that even with a Trump endorsement, I'm not sure we know exactly who's going to win this race. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary, your assessment of the same uh field and any projection you'd like to make yeah now i agree with karen uh, picking a winner uh, is, is pretty foolish when you have that many candidates especially i think um you know five leading candidates who are going to divide that vote up the endorsement no doubt gave jd vance a big boost he wasn't mm-hmm. doing particularly well until that endorsement came along which mm-hmm. is why a lot of people are kind of baffled at the endorsement mm-hmm. you know i wrote a piece last week saying if anything could could um, people always ask what would it take for Trump's base to to finally abandon him or desert him? Well, this won't do that. But for the first time, I've heard a lot of Trump supporters in Ohio shaking their head and saying, "Why, why did he endorse J.D. Vance of all these people? Because Jane Tempkin, uh, Mike Gibbons, uh, Josh Mandel, all very pro-Trump. You know, all out trying to outdo each other to be the pro-Trump candidate." And didn't have the record of saying those, those you know, bad things about Trump that J.D. said back in 2016 and 17, and yet Trump uh, endorses him. But Bruce, it was funny today. Uh, just recently, I think Trump Trump's campaigning in Nebraska, and uh, he was holding a rally, and he actually, Karen, you're nodding, you've heard this. Uh, he actually said he was bragging about his endorsements, and he said, and in Ohio. I've endorsed JP, no, I mean JD, JD Mandel. I've endorsed JD Mandel, and he's doing very well. So I tweeted out, I said, JD's going to have, or I mean, sorry, Mandel's going to have a tough time resisting not turning that into a oh, quick yeah. campaign ad on his own. Well, according to uh, one of the polls that was released uh, this morning, uh, if you would compare a March, I'm sorry, a March to now uh, in the state, JD Vance went from 11% to 23% following the Trump endorsement. And uh, Mandel was at 20, and he's dropped to 18. And Gibbons has gone from yeah. 22 to 13. That seems to be the the, the big, big drop well, there. I think that was a Vance, I think that was a Vance poll mm-hmm. uh, okay. put out by the Vance campaign. Not saying it's wrong. Sometimes mm-hmm. they put out mm-hmm. good polls, but you can't entirely trust a, a poll put out by the campaign. Right. Sure. But there's no doubt, Bruce, that it gave him a big, a big jump, a big mm-hmm. uh, boost. What's his connection? Everybody knows about. In fact, this was something, something else on 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 uh, Meet the Press today. Uh, Helene Cooper of the of the New York Times was talking about uh, J D Vance and how everybody really loved J D Vance and they wrote the book and they loved the book. And then she she was confused. She says, "But I don't know how someone who could write a book like that." could sort of think the way he thinks now. I mean, she was she couldn't believe the, the, the transition. Is anybody buying this transition, Karen, because of the candidates, uh, Republican candidates, uh, th- there is more, there are more things on paper that J.D. Vance said against Donald Trump than anybody else. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, that's what the people who have 
raised real concerns about J.D. Vance's endorsement by Trump have been bringing up over and over some of the things that Vance said. And they some of these are retreads from when he first jumped into the campaign yeah. because some of that stuff really came out right as he launched his campaign. But then, yeah, when that coveted endorsement came out because everybody had been buying for that, except for maybe Matt Dolan, the state senator, who said he would take it if it were offered, but he was the one that Trump had actually weighed in on saying he would not endorse Matt Dolan because his family owns the Cleveland Guardians and he, Trump was opposed to the change of the team from uh, uh-huh. the Indians to the Guardians. But uh, I think one thing that's really important to remember here is it isn't necessarily just that Trump likes J.D. Vance. I mean, clearly, with what Gary just brought up, I, I'm not sure how well Trump even knows <laughs> J.D. Vance. But there's a lot of connections there between J.D. Vance and Peter Thiel, um, the Silicon Valley investor. And also, he's a huge investor in uh, Donald Trump and the MAGA movement. And also, there's a big connection between J.D. Vance and the folks at Fox who still have a fair amount of influence on Trump. Mm-hmm. And I think that those two things really kind of explain a little bit more about why uh, Donald Trump backed J.D. Vance over the other candidates who had been in the race longer and seemed to really be uh, coming up with the Trump line more ferociously. Gary, uh, when, you, when you are analyzing this race as the votes come in on Tuesday, uh, you're going to be looking at the entire Buckeye state. Uh, give us a little geographic uh, uh, thumbnail sketch, if you can, of where will what will be the biggest region for Vance and and where will Mandel be the biggest? Well, in Ohio, and, and I'm anxious to hear Karen's analysis on this too. But in Ohio, we tend to divide the state between north and south. You know, above Columbus and below Columbus, mm-hmm. and below Columbus, or as I say in Ohio, below I-71, um, is is more Republican territory. And even during the Trump, you know, Trump tended to bring out Eastern Ohio used to be more Democratic kind of that Appalachian region that, mm-hmm. that J.D. Vance kind of writes about, Kentucky, that whole Kentucky-Appalachian region. But they really, you know, went strong um, um, for Trump in, two, in both 16 and 20. So the, the um, you know, the general election, the theory is always, you know, Republicans want to suppress the northern votes, Cleveland and, and the more Democratic mm-hmm. vote, and, and, Republican, and, and Democrats want to suppress you know, the Southern vote, and whoever can suppress each other's votes more win. But in a primary, um, it's, it's not that simple. I mean, I, again, you're, you've got four candidates, at least, all trying to be the pro-Trump candidate. And as Karen pointed out, Dolan is not really the anti-Trump candidate, but he's just kind of, he's not, Dolan, Dolan's main sin, as far as Republicans are concerned, is he's willing to admit Joe Biden won This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving.
a public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. I mean, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. In the upcoming uh, primary on Tuesday in Ohio, we have been talking about uh, where the Trump supporters might be going in a very crowded Republican field. But I'm wondering, uh, Karen, I'm going to ask you this question, what impact it might have even on the Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate? Uh, there is a primary. It doesn't have the visibility, but it does involve Tim Ryan, who has been a uh, moderate to conservative Democrat. Some people will say that you know there's a lot of Trump people that like Tim Ryan. So my question, will this have potentially any impact on the Democratic primary? Because uh, some conservative moderate voters who might go for him are going to stick in the Republican primary? Well, I think that, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about the assessment of Tim Ryan as being a conservative to moderate Democrat, and I don't think there's really a whole lot of competition. He does have uh, a contender from his left, a uh, mm -hmm. Columbus-based activist named Morgan Harper, who has run against, uh, she ran against uh, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty before and didn't uh, mm -hmm. score very highly. But uh, I, I think it's pretty clear that Tim Ryan is probably going to win that race. He's, he's better funded and better known. Um, he's also from an area of the state that has gradually gotten more and more red. I mean, Northeast Ohio, Gary was absolutely right that the uh, I-70 is pretty much the dividing line sometimes between mm -hmm. North and I South. 70, and, and I said 71. Right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But there's huge swath, swaths of Appalachian, Ohio, which used to be fairly blue. 
and they have gradually turned more and more red and the area around Youngstown which is where Tim Ryan's from is is a classic example of that there's some other areas uh, around Toledo up uh, on the west side of Cleveland those are kind of the areas but we're also seeing the blueing of certain cities I mean Cincinnati southwest Ohio used to be very red and now the Cincinnati area itself has gotten pretty blue which is interesting when you start looking at the way the congressional map has been divided up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's a whole different topic, though, that we still have an overwhelming percentage of mm-hmm. Republicans that are representing Ohio in Congress. It really doesn't match the percentage that people vote in Ohio, Republican versus Democrat. But certainly um, the cities are pretty blue. It's those other areas of the state, the suburbs that have gotten bluer over time, but still maintain some redness mm-hmm. that, that I think we're going to be looking at. And this is a state that Trump won by eight points in 2016 mm-hmm. and 2020. So the conventional wisdom is whoever wins the Republican primary for Senate is going to be the one who becomes Ohio's next senator. And that's right. why $65 million has been spent on ads in this yeah. race already. Well, regular listeners to this program know that we have this program has been on the air well over 25 years uh, in the Youngstown area, and uh, we're now on in, in western Pennsylvania, and, and I have said every, uh, basically, uh, year, if you drew a 200-mile radius around Youngstown, Ohio, uh, including western Pennsylvania, you're probably going to decide who the next president of the United States is going to be. And I guess my question is, um, is it safe, that the, Gary, w- would you say that it's safe to say that Ohio is is going to be a uh, a red state. It's going to continue to uh, end up supporting a Republican for president in nineteen twenty in, in twenty twenty four. Um, I think it's it's you know it's not quite the swing state it used to be. It used to be the nation's bellwether state. As, yep. As Ohio went, so went the nation. But I think that uh, I'm not ready to write it off entirely as a swing state. To the possibility that it could return to that. I think Trump is a unique phenomenon in Ohio, and I'm not sure any other candidate, any other Republican candidate, brings out the type of of diehard voter that Trump brings out for himself, and which has carried over to other um, other elections. But you know, the census numbers tell us Ohio has become an, an older state. Yeah. Um, that that trends Republican, usually more conservative. So, um, uh, but I, you know. If I was involved in the Democratic Party, I sure wouldn't. I I wouldn't be riding off Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we've got a question from uh, Patrick Hanley, who's our Democrat back here in Chicago. Go ahead, Pat. Thanks, Bruce. So uh, Gary and Karen, kind of following up on that last point that you made, <clears throat> uh, the way that I think about elections these days, especially after Donald Trump, is that the coin of the realm is authenticity, uh, and Donald Trump has that. But the front runners for Senate on the Republican side perhaps don't. I mean, Josh Mandel, uh, J.D. Vance, both have the whiff of hypocrisy around them. What they've been doing and saying for the last 10 years doesn't exactly align with what they're doing and saying now to get votes. Uh, But Tim Ryan doesn't have that. Tim Ryan seems like the kind of guy who's been uh, doing the politics he's been doing his whole career. Do you think there's anything to that kind of authenticity, hypocrisy approach that might help Democrats in November? I think that there's something to what you're saying. In fact, um, on the campaign trail this weekend, you have J.D. Vance campaigning with Congress members Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, And Taylor Greene even brought up that word authenticity and saying that she didn't see it in Josh Mandel. And Matt Gates made a comment about how Josh Mandel seemed like he was, I think, reading a script by Jim Jordan, but it didn't make any, I, I can't remember the exact analogy he used, but it was still playing on that whole question of authenticity and yet they're campaigning with a guy who 
some Republicans are saying has very little authenticity because of the things he said at the beginning when he first launched, uh, before he launched his campaign. Tim Ryan is really interesting because I think he's following the Sherrod Brown playbook. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, arguably the most popular Democrat in Ohio, and, and really speaks to that uh, working class, blue collar, Democratic voter. And, and Tim Ryan is sounding an awful lot like him. I just did a preview on the Republican and Democratic U.S. Senate primaries. And it was interesting to compare Tim Ryan to what I've heard Republicans say over the last couple of years and how Ryan is really walking that line of, of the moderate which is not necessarily what you do in a primary typically. You typically go for the far right or the far left because those are the people who turn out to vote. So it, it, I think it'll be interesting to watch him campaign against whoever the Republican candidate is and, and have that question of authenticity, who, who feels, who seems like they really believe this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, I, although I think the authenticity is going to matter a lot more in November. Mm-hmm. I think that in the Republican primary, it you know, the base is still right there to to they're listening for who's the most pro-Trump, frankly. I mean, in Ohio, Republicans are still Trump. They're, they're still Trump's people. And so that's why. The is there an issue? At least, is there know, an issue they talk about, Gary? Is there an issue they talk about? Is it inflation? Is it uh, the border? Is it foreign policy? I mean, uh, the border, immigration, immigration, which who can outdo each other being tough on the. On uh, on immigration and the culture war stuff, you know, they like mm-hmm. to hit a lot on the the uh, uh, you know things like the so-called "Don't Say Gay" bill in Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what's the critical race theory? They're all going to keep critical race theory out of the schools. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of it's gotten into the schools yet, but they're all going to make sure to keep <laughs> that out. By golly, so, yes, we've kept it out. <laughs> uh, those are kind of the hot button issues. Yeah. One other, obviously, big race is you have a race for governor. I mean, uh, uh, about a year ago, most people would say that your incumbent governor was going to be uh, safe. But, uh, again, uh, there's a number of other people that want to take his job away. He is 75 mm-hmm. years old. He is Mike DeWine. He is a, a living legend in the state of Ohio. I believe that he's been elected to every statewide office you could possibly get elected to, uh, a unique candidate in, in a variety of ways. Um, is there, but there's a, there's a possible scandal that might be brewing about him, Gary, that, uh, involving energy and, uh, energy. Well, yeah, I mean, that kind of happens. That's kind of out there, Bruce. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there, there are people, the former speaker of the Ohio house, uh, uh, has been, uh, Larry Householder has been charged with crimes related to bribery and and so on in, in the first energy deal is what you're talking about. Yeah. DeWine, I don't think, has, has been connected to it in a deeply involved way, except for the fact that he signed the bill into law. But I don't think he's been accused of, of what people, others have been accused of, which is basically taking uh, uh, money to make it happen. But in the primary, you know, DeWine would be in, in trouble if there weren't two opponents who are kind of splitting the vote. Yeah. There, there was a DeWine. A lot of conservatives didn't like how DeWine handled the COVID um, uh, uh, pandemic over the you know first couple of years it, it happened with a lot of he kind of led the nation in being tough with lockdowns and so on and he was a media so darling you, <laughs> you have a couple of candidates and according to polls you know the ones I've seen Karen may have others DeWine's only polling about 43 percent of the vote which which would get him beat if he only had one opponent but he's got two opponents who are kind of evenly splitting 
the anti-DeWine vote. But uh, Trump hasn't weighed in on this, even though uh, he he supported Jim Renucci a couple of years ago. He hasn't uh, given the kiss on the cheek to uh, Renucci yet. Karen? Go ahead, Karen. Yeah, I, I, there actually are three candidates in this race right. uh, besides DeWine. One is kind of running this stealth campaign. We, we haven't heard anything about him. He filed, and, and that's all we've heard about from him. But he's in the same vein as these other two. Jim Renacci, the former congressman from mm-hmm. Northeast Ohio, who ran for U.S. Senate against Sherrod Brown in 2018 and lost by about six points. And then also Joe Blystone, who was a Columbus area farmer and business owner. But their whole campaigns have really been about the cultural issues, the social issues, and opposing DeWine on the COVID things that he did, that they really felt that he had gone too far in terms of shutting down businesses and schools and that sort of thing. Of course, a lot of that is is over. I mean, we're we're not wearing masks in Ohio. Schools have been in session for mm-hmm. over a year. So I, I'm not sure how much these issues still play in people's minds. And and the big thing, of course, with this race is the money. I mean, DeWine is the best funded candidate for re-election yeah. as governor in Ohio history, most likely. And so 75 years against, old. He's 75 years. Is, is he still got spring in his step at 75? He sure seems like it. He seems I mean, I cover him. My my job at the State House News Bureau is to cover uh, the state officials. And he hasn't seemed to have lost a step <laughs> at all. He's he's out and about all the time. Um, I think, though, you asked about the scandal. Um, th- there are two things that are potentially causing some issues that Democrats will be able to maybe keep, uh, seize on coming up this fall. Hang on just One a second. Being... Hang on just Go a ahead. second. Karen. We've got a break here. When we come back, I'm going to let you give those two points and let Gary weigh in as well. And we're talking about Ohio politics. 1-800-723-8289. If you've got questions for the Buckeye State, now's the time to call. Back to you. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. 
the drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we're going to let each of our guests in Ohio take a moment to introduce themselves. And uh, Gary, give us a little uh, 30-second background on uh, your distinguished uh, career. Go ahead. <laughs> well, thank you for calling it distinguished. That's always a matter of opinion for other people to uh, decide. But I've spent, uh, I've had a career divided in uh, both journalism and politics. I started out in newspapers, worked for uh, three or four newspapers around Ohio, um, smaller community newspapers, and uh, went to work uh, then in politics uh, for a congressman uh, named Frank Kermines, who was a one-term congressman in Ohio, worked at the Ohio Republican Party, then went to West Virginia for a few years and worked in politics, Republican politics there. And this was before Republicans ruled everything, so it was a lot Mm -hmm. more fun and more challenging. Uh, Came back to Ohio, actually worked for Senator Vornovich and then Senator Portman for his first nine months in the Senate and had an opportunity to go back into journalism and went back uh, to my hometown, the Hillsborough Times-Gazette, um, where I was the editor. And in 2016, we were one of only six or seven newspapers in the country to endorse Donald Trump for president, which um, which got some people's attention. And frankly, got your phone calls returned <laughs> right for the post and and uh, do a lot of other things on a national level that mm-hmm. that hadn't come my way before, frankly. Mm-hmm. Karen Kessler, tell us a little bit about your career around the ca- uh, Capitol in uh, Columbus. Well, I'm a lifelong Ohioan. I worked in Columbus after I graduated from Otterbein College, and then I moved up to, uh, well, then I went to grad school at Ohio State University, then moved up to Cleveland and worked at a news talk radio station in Cleveland and absolutely loved Cleveland for eight years. Been back here in Columbus for 18 years covering politics at the building behind me, if you can see on the podcast, yep, the, uh, the Ohio State House, and it's it's been quite a quite a difference over the last 18 years how things have really changed. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to just a couple of follow-ups uh, with with DeWine. Would you say that DeWine has has reached the level of Taft in the state of Ohio, or is he still not quite at that level with Republican hierarchy historically, Gary? You know, that's a good question, and maybe some more time needs to go by to see how someone lands in the annals of history, uh-huh. uh, so to speak. Um, 
I've known Mike DeWine, Governor DeWine, for, for a long, long time. Uh, you know, good man. Um, I'm probably a little more conservative than he. I'm probably among those that wasn't real thrilled, frankly, with how he handled COVID. And that's, I wrote about it, so that's mm-hmm. no secret to, uh, to anyone. But um, um, I don't know. You know, the Taft legacy involves um, kind of a fami- family legacy. It's not just one, mm-hmm. one person. Um, so I don't know. I'm interested to hear what Karen thinks about that because they, you, you're right, Bruce. Mike DeWine's done just held you know Amazing. so many different offices. He's become part of the part of the landscape in Ohio. Over for sure. four over forty years as an elected yeah. uh, official. Karen, uh, quick follow up on any comparison you'd want to make with the the Taft family. Yeah, one of the first big uh, situations that I covered when I came down from Cleveland working commercial radio and came to public radio and television in Columbus was uh, Bob Taft and his time in office. He was while he's been well known over years and has the family legacy of the Taft name, he also became the first Ohio governor to ever be charged with anything in office. He was charged with misdemeanor for a campaign violation, which was quite a stunning thing when it happened. But uh, DeWine definitely has that family name and legacy. I mean, for many, many years, the only person who ever seems to have ever been able to beat him was Sherrod Brown. And in 2006, when Brown unseated DeWine in the U.S. Senate. But uh, I think, you know, DeWine's name is very, very well known. He I think his popularity is still pretty high. I, I think there are Democrats and Republicans who are frustrated with him with what happened with COVID. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any chance that he loses this primary just because of what he brings into this mm-hmm. with his name recognition and the money. Well, also, I mentioned uh, uh, earlier that uh, uh, he was regarded as a media darling because he was viewed as one of the more progressive media favorites the way he was handling uh, COVID. So I'm sure that riled up a lot of conservatives when when the Washington Post and the New York Times start saying, singing your praises. It doesn't help you in the precincts. <laughs> Well, I, I, I could speak to a little bit of that because uh, DeWine was one of the first governors to actually go on TV and, and radio and do press conferences mm-hmm. uh, during the whole COVID shutdowns. And as part of my job in public mm-hmm. broadcasting, I partnered with our version of C-SPAN, the Ohio channel, to bring those broadcasts to Ohio. And so for, I think there were 57 total broadcasts every single day where he was updating people on what was going on with COVID. It became known as Wine with DeWine because it was always <laughs> at 2 o'clock every day and people would take that break, get a glass of wine and walk yeah. away from the kids for a little while or something <laughs> yeah. of course it started to become monotonous and then it started to become concerning when people were having trouble with their businesses and their livelihoods and and there was learning loss for the kids all this it obviously became very serious yeah. over, and by the over way, time we should mention yeah. by the I, way that could i add one thing ahead. on Go that ahead. too bruce sure um those televised conferences he was doing every day he was doing them with his health director at the time named amy acton they both kind of became these you know, wine with DeWine celebrities and memes were created with, with DeWine and, and Dr. You know, Amy Acton. Mm-hmm. But it really took a toll on Amy Acton. And, and part of the criticism of DeWine is he had her out front and center so much every day after day after day that as the tide began to turn against what was happening with the lockdowns and so on, she kind of was the one taking the brunt of that. And uh, I'm not sure it was entirely fair to her. And she frankly ended up I think safe to say resigning because of the some of the um, mm-hmm. heat that was coming her way yeah. over it, and uh, 
uh, you know, people marching in her neighborhood, sure. uh, protesting her. By the way, we should mention that Mike DeWine is running for re-election. He is running in a Republican primary, uh, and again, it is contested, but uh, he's got a maybe a comfortable lead uh, at the moment, uh, according to some uh, internal reports. But again, uh, there is a Democratic primary. Uh, the, uh, the former governor of Cincinnati and the former governor of Dayton, Ohio, uh, they used to be friends, but they're running against each other. So, uh, Karen, tell us a little bit about, uh, I'll have you talk about the, the mayor of Dayton, who also got some national uh, coverage uh, because of the uh, horrible shooting in her city uh, last year. Yeah, and I will say one more thing about Mike DeWine in that um, his popularity still has been pretty high, even though there are some polls that suggest he isn't going above 50 percent. His popularity has still remained fairly high, mm -hmm. along with others, uh, other Republican governors throughout the pandemic. But uh, on the Democratic side, I think that is the more interesting primary because you do have two mayors, mayor of Cincinnati, mayor of Dayton. The, and former mayors, rather, former mayor of Cincinnati, John Cranley, former mayor of Dayton, Ann Whaley, who, like you just said, used to be friends, probably still are once this is over. I have no idea. But uh, they've kind of gone back and forth a little bit over some of the specific plans. I mean, for instance, uh, the former mayor of Cincinnati, John Cranley, wants to legalize marijuana. He wants to uh, use that money to fund broadband and infrastructure jobs. He wants to create an energy dividend for people making under $75,000 a year. Got some very specific ideas, whereas Nan Whaley's ideas are a little bit more wider reaching. She's talking about universal pre-kindergarten and, and things like that. So they've had some pushback occasionally in, in debates and other settings, but for the most part, it's been a really civil an issue-driven campaign, which is kind of a contrast to what we've seen on the Republican Senate side, which has been a lot more about who's Trumpier and, and where the social issues are and those mm -hmm. sorts of things. Yeah. By the way, we should mention that the, the primary is coming up uh, this Tuesday, uh, May 3rd, and uh, it is Ohio. That's going to be where all the network focus is. Indiana has very little activity going on uh, this coming Tuesday. Uh, the following week on the 10th, it will be in Nebraska and West Virginia. The following week on the 17th, it'll be a big night. Idaho, Kentucky, North Carolina, Oregon, and the big one uh, in the east will be Pennsylvania, which is also has a hotly contested uh, race uh, uh, for the U.S. Senate there. And then uh, at the end of the month, Alabama, yeah. Arkansas, Georgia, which, uh, again, probably is going to make the most uh, news this month, and then uh, the Texas runoff, uh, because they did not uh, get to over 50% there. So uh, the month uh, of May will be a busy month. And again, a reminder, yeah. on the first uh, Sunday of each month, we're going to be talking about the major races coming up uh, uh, that week. Um, Gary, uh, and Bruce, if, uh, one more thing on the sure. primary. I'm sorry. You, this and Karen may weigh in on this too. Because of redistricting um, uh, controversies and court actions, the primary, Ohio's primary is being split this year. So what's happening Tuesday is state legislative races are not going to be on the ballot. And it's going to be interesting to see how that affects, if at all, the federal races, will it affect turnout very much? Uh -huh. I've talked to people who think there will be a, a pretty really low turnout uh, on Tuesday, despite all the attention that we've had to this race, in part because of people aren't really sure what's going on with the primaries. Uh -huh. And we it's been in the news a lot. They know that one prim primary got moved and over split off, uh, which will be held later in the year. Mm -hmm. So that's 
that's another factor to consider when we look at what happens on Tuesday. Well, the national press is going to be looking at what happens in the Senate primary, determining whether or not J.D. Vance was helped by Donald Trump or not. But let me ask, uh, what's been the relationship of Donald Trump and Mike DeWine? Because he hasn't endorsed anybody against DeWine, but he hasn't endorsed you know, DeWine either, Karen. Yeah, and I, I had heard that there might be an endorsement in that race, but it never came. I mean, Trump was in uh, Delaware County, which is just north of Columbus. It's, it's a county that used to be super red and now is trending a little bit pinker over time uh, or purple or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, getting a little bit more blue, I guess is what I'm saying, but not nearly blue like you would expect uh, a, a city would be. But uh, he, he still had a lot of support um, from a couple thousand people who showed up there, even though there are still these questions about whether J.D. Vance is the candidate that some Republicans think he should have endorsed. Mm -hmm. But uh, Jim Renacci, I think, is the real interesting story there, because like we said before, Renacci ran in 2018 against Sherrod Brown. He claimed that Trump had asked him to get out of the governor's race in 2018 and run against Sherrod Brown. And he did that because Trump asked him to. And so I think he was hoping for that Trump endorsement that uh, Uh does not seem to have come. And so I I, I think that uh, Trump has been a little critical of DeWine, but, you know, certainly he hasn't spoken out to the point where or even we've got a break on the other way. Karen Kassler, Gary Abernathy, thank you very much for bringing up to date on Buckeye Politics. Thank you. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest service and the ad council song again here's that song again for the hundredth time today here's that song again it's gonna be stuck in your head all day here's that song again it will make you cray cray you love your kids enough to watch that tv show a bajillion times love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size show them you love them keep them safe Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, I'll tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay? isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, 
your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Oh, I can only imagine what the uh, political folks are going to be talking about on uh, uh, next Wednesday morning, figuring out what happened in Ohio and... No, he didn't really win, and J.D. Vance, uh, <laughs> well, I guess I guess one of the big pieces of news, and I think it would be a legitimate piece of news, is if J.D. Vance lost. Yeah. If J.D. Vance yeah. lost, that's a big loss for Donald Trump. Sure. I think. Yeah, high-risk, high-return move. Right. So he he picks somebody and who if if J.D. wins, Trump gets to claim credibly that he changed the race and J.D. owes him a big one. And so does Peter Thiel. Okay, Uh, but if he loses, then, yeah, that's that's a chink in the arm. Gary, do you agree with that? That, I mean, literally, it will it will be a big national story if J.D. Vance loses. I mean, the the big thing is they will take that and, and they will they will tie Trump around him. Yeah. And uh, that will that will set the the, the oh, yeah. die for the rest of the at least the rest of the month. I absolutely agree with that. And, uh, you know, same with, uh, uh, you know, the other races where he's endorsed. Same with uh, Dr. Oz. Right. And, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, so so he's, uh, you know, Trump. A lot of people claimed that Trump was kind of av- averse to risk yeah. a while back right. when he was endorsed. He just wanted to endorse sure things and people who were going to win. He's kind of proven that to be wrong. He's really gone out out on a limb uh, with some of these endorsements, particularly J.D. Vance, or as he called him today, J.P. Mandel, uh, <laughs> but particularly with J.D. Vance because uh, he was not leading the polls when, when Trump yes, endorsed right. he, According to different polls, he may have been in third place. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, and, 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 it's, and it's also... Be, uh, Big yeah. news if Vance loses, and yeah. it's 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 a it's a roll of the dice with 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 Dr. Oz. Now, Dr. Oz is the celebrity candidate, and I, I guess you could say that J.D. Vance is sort of the celebrity candidate. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, you know, if Dr. Oz slips, you know, and and everything that I have read does not indicate that Trump is going to do well in the uh, Georgia uh, race for governor. Uh, and I don't think he's going to knock off Governor, uh, uh, you know, in Alabama, uh, Kate Ivey. So I mean, he's he's got some he's got possible three or four big losses. Um, do you think he could withstand? Could at what point does he no longer get identified as a potential kingmaker? It's when his people start to lose, right, Karen? He's got three or four big losses yeah, in mean- one month. Yeah, when I, I was talking to a national GOP consultant today who's based in Ohio, and he was saying that 
whether it's Vance or Mandel that wins in the Ohio primary, the real winner is Donald Trump because it was Donald Trump's race. Everybody, mm. save for Senator <clears throat> Matt Dolan, essentially, was vying for the Trump endorsement. And so all of Trump's issues, all of Trump's talking points were front and center. And so that's an interesting way to look at it. But yeah, if Vance doesn't do well, if Oz doesn't do well, if Brian Kemp uh, does well in Georgia and not David Perdue, um, you know, if, if the Trump candidates don't do well, then yeah, that really does suggest that there's a problem here. One of the things that Trump did do in Ohio that makes it very safe is the endorse nine of Ohio's 12 Republican congressman. Mm. Now, he was not going to endorse Anthony Gonzalez, who's the Republican congressman right. from Northeast Ohio who voted for Trump's impeachment, but he's not running for re-election. Uh, but he has endorsed nine sitting congressmen and endorsed one uh, one of his former advisors, Max Miller, who's running for Congress, all of whom are likely to win election re-election. So those are safe bets that he's made there. Do you think, uh, Gary, I'll let you tackle this one first. Do you think the the voters of uh, Ohio, the, the primary voters of Ohio, the Republican primary voters of Ohio, do you mm-hmm. think that they grasp the power that is in their hands to basically begin mm-hmm. to put nails in the political coffin of Donald Trump yeah. by their vote? I do. I, I think they do grasp it entirely, and that's pro- that's probably to Vance's advantage, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who really don't want to vote for J.D. Vance, they know that if Vance doesn't win, it hurts their guy Trump, yep. who they love. Yep. And if they don't push Vance over the finish line, as much as they may not like Vance, trust him, believe that he's had a change of heart that he insists on, then the national narrative is going to be, you know, by, by the media that they consider anti-Trump anyway, mm-hmm. is going to be, oh, look, Trump lost his mojo. And so I think a lot of Republican voters factor that in, Bruce, when they go to the poll and go, I really like Mandel better, or I like Timken, or I like Gibbons or mm-hmm. Dolan, but I'm going to vote for Vance so mm-hmm. that Trump has a victory here. That'll be how a lot of them think. Karen, do you agree with that? I think it's a really interesting thing to to look at it that way. I know that after the Vance endorsement, there were some Tea Party groups and and others that really pushed back. They came out. I mean, even like Christian groups who said that uh, this was not the right endorsement. They urged people to try to reach out to Trump and, and to not vote for Vance. But whether people will actually take that to heart and do that is, is I think, a really interesting question. I will say that the, the J.D. Mandel endorsement line that uh, Trump <laughs> put out there today in Nebraska is already being picked up by Mike Gibbons. Uh, <laughs> and Gibbons, Vance, and Mandel have all been kind of jockeying for that yeah. lead position in in or at least what we think is the lead position in the polls and uh uh i think that it's interesting that gibbons is already seizing on that uh, with some news releases that are coming out to reporters tonight Mm -hmm. well again people will be watching uh what uh you folks have to say what will be the what will be the first sign that it's a good night for J.D. Vance. I want to get that from either of you, because again, yeah. the national news media is going to be extrapolating here, okay, where Vance is strong, yeah. they think that Trump is going to be well, strong, and they're writing yeah. their Wednesday morning lead. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think a, a high turnout is probably good for Vance. I think a high turnout means Trump people are coming out. Uh, a low turnout's probably not, but um, it all depends on, Ohio has been kind of uh, Karen can speak to this, too. Ohio has been uh, a little unpredictable in how they release their results. The last uh, couple of elections, you, you might get, you know, 
uh, you might get uh, 10 counties done, and then you're waiting an hour and a half for 10 more counties to come in. So uh -huh. it's very hard to read early results. So what you have to kind of look at is turnout, and then you hear exit polling, and you hear what these people do in the exit polls. Right. You. But uh, I think the turnout... High turnout's good for Vance, low turnout's not. Okay. Uh, I'm, we're out of time on that particular oh, point. Gary, thank you very much. Karen Kessler, thank you very much. You're going to be busy, folks, in the next 48 hours. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts here this evening. Also to Christopher uh, Newwayne and also Patrick Hanley for joining us. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.